Welcome to Order Up, the restaurant operations podcast brought to you by Ops Analytica. Hey, it's Tommy. Um, if you don't currently have an ops management platform like Ops Analytica in your business, then I hate to be the one to tell you, but you are losing to your competitors that do. It is 2021. If you honestly believe that the world we live in today with technology the way it is, that you can still compete with other chains that have real-time visibility into their operations, that have the ability to identify issues, to crowdsource solutions, and are able to then roll out process changes in hours or a day or two versus weeks or months, if you think you can beat them, then you are crazy, right? I see what our clients are doing with our platform every day. They are incrementally getting better because they manage their entire system like a GM manages a restaurant. You cannot compete with that. Data is not going away. Technology is not going away. You cannot operate like this is 1985 anymore. You have to get real about your operations. You can't back into it by looking at customer satisfaction and food costs and labor costs and all that stuff. You got to have real-time ops data so you can manage your business better. And Ops Analytica is dying to help you make that transformation. Uh, Check us out at opsanalytica.com. Hey there, Order Up Show podcast listeners. Quick message from uh, me, your host, Tommy. New episodes are going to start dropping on Wednesdays weekly, okay? So look for new episodes uh, starting on Wednesday. Hey there, Order Up Show. It's Tommy. I am back with another interview today. Uh, Please welcome to the show, Betsy Ham. How are you doing, Betsy? Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. I'm so excited for you to be on the show today. Um, so Betsy, here's the deal with the show. I ask the same questions to every guest that comes on. And I always want to get to the first question first, because I'm most interested in that one, which is explain what you do today and then take us through how you got from your first job to where you are. Okay, absolutely. Um, so I am currently the CEO of Duck Donuts. And if you're not familiar with Duck Donuts, we are a franchise company where we have 105 locations throughout the United States and two international. We have one in Saudi Arabia and one in the UAE. Um, and what makes Duck Donuts special is we are a made-to-order donut concept. So when you walk in, you order your donuts, and that's when we drop them in the fryer and, and cook them. And then you get to choose all of your toppings, coatings, sprinkles, and we hand you a warm box of donuts when you leave our location. So um, my job as the CEO of Duck Donuts is, is I oversee the support that our corporate team provides. So we have about 25 employees in our corporate office um, as well as out in the field. And our goal as a team is to make our franchisees successful and profitable. So when you boil it down, that sounds sounds really easy. But of course, there's everything from construction and real estate, operations, marketing, you know, training support uh, that we're providing our over really we have over 70 franchisees in our system. Wow. And then how'd you get started? So definitely, if somebody would have told me, you know, seven or eight years ago that I would be the CEO of an international donut franchise, I would think they were crazy. Um, Certainly (laughs) was not my intended career path for sure. Um, So I went to school for communications journalism. My first job was at a media agency doing marketing. Um, After about a year there, I started working uh, for Hershey Entertainment and Resorts, which is home to 
Hershey Park Amusement Park, as well as a chocolate spa and a hockey team and concerts and shows. Um, and my job in marketing there was help to drive people to the destination of Hershey. So I was with Hershey for about 15 years in various marketing roles um, while I was there. And, I, you know, obviously an amazing brand and really fun place to work, you know, selling basically roller coasters and chocolate bars and, and uh, fun, essentially. Um, so somebody had mentioned to me that Duck Donuts was opening a corporate headquarters here in the Harrisburg, Pennsylvania area. And I wasn't even familiar with Duck Donuts at the time. Um, Duck Donuts got started in the Outer Banks. So if you weren't a vacationer to the Outer Banks originally in North Carolina, um, it wasn't a brand that was familiar to many people. Um, but thought it sounded interesting. So I took a meeting with the founder and CEO and um, learned about this brand where people who knew about Duck Donuts loved it, but a lot of people just had not been exposed to it. Um, so I thought as a marketing person, this was a really great opportunity to come in and help build a brand and the strategy, build out a team um, and make this you know, a household name across the country. Um, so I left the job at Hershey after 15 years, came to Duck Donuts. Um, it's actually been five years ago that I started here um, and started to build out the team and the structure and the strategies and processes. And um, really from the ground up, there was, there was one person on the marketing team when I started. So it was quite the task of, of figuring out all the things we needed to do and then hiring the team to help do it. Because of course, I certainly couldn't have done it on my own. Um, so about after a year and a half uh, building the marketing team, uh, Russ DeGilio, who is the founder and original CEO, said, you know what, I think you need to oversee operations. And I thought, oh, they don't usually allow marketing people to be you know, too close to operations. Um, but uh, I understood where he was coming from and the ability of, you know, I could see sort of big picture, good at connecting the dots. Um, so I took on the role of COO. Um, after about a year and a half of being here and then was doing that up until April. And in April, uh, Duck Donuts was acquired, majority was acquired by a private equity group. And Russ, as part of that acquisition, wanted to step down from the day-to-day -day of being CEO. Um, he's still actively involved in the company, but more from a board perspective. Um, so part of that acquisition included me being um, named CEO. So I've only been in my current role for about six months. <laughs> Oh, wow. That's really exciting. You think, yeah, marketing to, re to restaurant ops. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, so, uh, or the whole company, obviously. Um, so I have a question because I have never been to a Duck Donuts. Just okay. because I live in Colorado and haven't really been on the East Coast too much. Yeah. If you can help us out, we would love to be in Colorado. <laughs> oh, yeah. Listen up, people. We need some Duck Donuts out here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so do, because you're, you're frying to order... Is this like, is this more like a, like a, am I buying a dozen duck donuts? Like, or normal, like, you know what I mean? Like when I go to like a Lamar's donuts, for instance, I get, a, I, we might get a dozen or are people just buying like one for each of the members of their family because it's more of like a decadent, like singular treat, right? Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, we sell singles, we sell, you know, two, whatever number you want, half dozens, dozens. We, we definitely sure. sell a lot of dozens. Um, and what's great is, is, is when you walk in, you may say like, I know, cause all of our donuts are vanilla cake donuts. That's the base. And then you, sure. you know, can change the icing. So, you know, you may know that you want 
two chocolate donuts with rainbow sprinkles and your kid wants a peanut butter one with um, Oreo cookies or whatever it is. So, um, you know, we, we say we have a duck zillion combinations of our donuts. Um, And then we also give suggested donut types and and we, we change those out seasonally. So of course, right now we have like fall flavors like pumpkin and, and apple and streusel. So some of the, some of the menu items do change seasonally. And of course we sell coffee, we sell milkshakes and we have donut breakfast sandwiches. So whenever you do get to a duck donuts, you're going to have to try a donut breakfast sandwich, which is, you know, taking a donut cut in half, put an egg, bacon or sausage, whichever, and even sprinkle it with a little bit of the maple icing on top. And then can I get them like super crispy too? Like, can I go, I want mine crispy and they'll fry them extra long. You know what? They are generally crispy on the outside. So yes, if you like your donuts, we say they're crispy on the outside and light and fluffy on the inside, like a piece of cake, a warm piece of cake. But that makes complete sense to me now. You have one batter. Okay. Now yes. my, like, I wrap my brain around it operationally. Oh, yes. Yep. Yep. Everything's cool. a vanilla cake donut and then you just change change the toppings. Oh, that's the best. That sounds so good. <laughs> so are you selling? So, okay. Let's just talk about. So you guys are growing, right? Like you, yes. you're out there, you're hustling, you're getting new locations in. So are you guys selling territories right now or are you selling individual shops? Because you said you have 70 franchisees in over 100 locations, which means you have a bunch of multi-unit operators. Yes. So... Yep, we vary. We have a lot who are single unit operators. Um, We have a lot of franchisees who maybe when they sign by um, two stores and, you know, they open one per year or three. So we tend to average around that two to three locations um, per franchisee. Of course, we would love to see as we've continued to grow to see um, franchisees coming in, purchasing, you know, whether it's five and 10 and having a much more aggressive development schedule. So, you know, I think that's something that we've been focused on. How do we attract that? You may be more sophisticated franchisee that maybe has another brand and um, already has the structure in place to really help um, grow quickly. Yeah, because with franchisees, it either is like a mom and pop who have one or two stores, or it's like a massive company that has, you know, 200, they have tons of stores and they have all the infrastructure. They have the training people, they have, you know, the field teams, they've got the accounting systems, and they're really just in the business of operating restaurants that you don't but not really you know what i mean like they don't want to know how to market it or create the brand they just want to make money correct yeah yeah so that's yeah you kind of have to make that jump to that like next level of right the the guy that's more capitalized that's just looking brands. Yeah. yeah. And it seems like well, a lot of other brands that I've talked to that are bigger than us, that's, you know, sort of the process they went through, you know, in the beginning when you're, when you're just starting off and you're that emerging brand, you do attract the, you know, single mom and pop yeah. unit kind of operators. And, and that's great. And, and those franchisees are awesome, but, you know, to really accelerate our growth, that's the kind of um, structure we're going to have to be looking for. Absolutely. Yep. I worked at, uh, I worked at Quiznos back in the day when Quiznos had like 5,000 locations, mm. but all mom and pops and, that, that also caused, that, that caused a lot of problems because, you know, when somebody does road construction in front of your strip center, well, that can crush a mom and pop single unit operator because no one's coming into the strip center for six months while they're right. ripped up the left turn lane. You know what I mean? And like, Absolutely. You know, those kind of things. It's really great to get someone who's got a couple units that can offset some of those things. Absolutely. Um, cool. Okay. So question number two. Uh, what is the big project or initiative that you're working on right now? 
Um, so I, I touched on this a little bit. So we're at an inflection point with our growth. So we have over 100 units open, which actually only 16% of franchise brands even make it to. So we're pretty excited about that. Um, and then, of course, with our new ownership and new leadership, uh, we are really hunkering down to accelerate growth. So it's really great to say that. But of course, you have to make that happen. Uh, so really, the last few months, I guess you could say, I've been really focused on, you know, we know where we're trying to go. And we have a general idea of how we're going to get there. But then what's the structure that we need in place? Uh, what are the people we need in place? What are the roles? You know, making sure we have all the right people on the bus in the right seats, as my team is probably tired of me saying. Um, but making that. sure all of those things are in line so we are able to accelerate growth. And, and, you know, when we talk about accelerating growth, I think sometimes like our franchisees worry that we're just worried about opening additional locations, which yes, of course, we want to open additional locations. We want to grow, but we're also really focused on how do we make our existing locations more successful? So what tools and resources, what product innovation, uh, what technology do we need in order to um, drive profitability at our existing locations? So really putting together all the pieces of the puzzle um, in order for that to happen happen as we move into 2022, since I can't believe we're almost wrapping up 21 here. Nuts. And, you know, so much of that's true because like, you know, when you start to bring in these new franchisees and you start marching, you know, hopefully you have good lead gen and top of your funnel gets full and all of a sudden you're bringing in all these new potential franchisees, they're going to want to speak to the existing franchisees, right? The smart ones. Absolutely. Find out what's really going on. Having all those systems in place for your current business, because Part of what you're buying when you're a franchisee is you're buying systems. Like, I want to know that you have a marketing plan in place. I want to know you have an operating system in place. I want to know that you have recipes in place, that you've costed all this out, that you've got your build, you figured out your footprint so that I'm not building an 1800 square foot shop when really I should be building an 1100 square foot shop. You know what I mean? Right. Absolutely. If you don't have all those things figured out, the really savvy operators, the ones that you want that are going to do the multi-unit stuff, those guys are going to be like, nope, they're not there yet. They're not mature enough yet, you know, and they'll pass. Absolutely. Because they don't want to get caught up. You know, they just don't want to waste money and time. Sure. You know? Yeah. So, so yeah, you're right. It's get the right people on the bus, which is Jim Collins. Good for great, by the yes. way. <laughs> yep, I love um, that book. <laughs> the only problem with that book is that those use cases are now so outdated. You know, it's like, it's circuit city versus like True. whatever that's so funny yes kind of business um <laughs> but uh because i actually just was re-looking at that book the other day but um yeah so it's like yeah it's tough but then when you get all the pieces in place or you get 80 percent of the pieces in place then you can really start hammering you know and exactly. growing and, yeah so that's really that's our cool. plan yes, getting ready to grow uh, <laughs> yeah can ask me um, like a year from now how that worked out. We'll see, <laughs> but I feel like uh, we're we're headed in the right direction. So I feel I feel really good about everything that's coming together. And and you know we're just we're at a good point where our same store sales are are up over 2019, and our and our franchise uh, sales pipeline is good. So you know we just have a lot of positive momentum going right now, which is really exciting to see it all come together. You know, I I think too one of the things like if I was looking at like your business it would be like, how do I take existing restaurant spaces and convert them as painlessly and cheaply as possible? Right. Like how can I find that existing subway? Right. And what do we have to do to turn an existing subway or an existing, I name another brand that's in a strip center. Cause I would assume you're in mostly strip centers. Do you do drive-thrus? Yes. 
You know, what's funny is uh, we are mostly strip centers and we have some food trucks and food trailers and we have one drive through that had been in Virginia for a while um, that they weren't actually utilizing really pre-COVID. So that is something that's on our radar that we would like to test more uh, to see sure. if that's something that makes sense. Yeah, but I would be like, how do I convert any existing space that someone abandoned in the last 18 months and turn that into a duck donut as quick, cheaply as possible? Yes. One of the things I always saw at Quiznos was the original, and this was true of Subway too, both in their growth trajectories during the like early 2000s, was that, you know, the first guy spent 400, the first owner of that store spent like 400 grand building it out. And like, you were like, what the heck? And so then that guy, if he didn't make enough money, uh, then he went out of business. The next guy bought it for 200 grand. That guy couldn't make it either, especially at Quiznos. And then the third guy <laughs> got it for 50 grand, right? Uh, so, so the 50 grand guy had a shot. But right. the 400 grand guy, you know, like this, it was crazy because there's a witch witch over here in my neighborhood that closed. I don't know the, why they closed, but they became a Capriotis. And I got to believe that that build out was four to $600,000 because, I mean, not a single part of that restaurant was the same. And it had very high end finishes and, you know, subway tile and all this stuff. And I was just like, that's so much pressure to the, to the operating partner or the franchisee to get that money paid back. Like you've got to have the volume on day one right. all the way through, or you're just going to be saddled with this gigantic loan that eventually if your sales dip, it's really tough. Yep. Absolutely. To you're right. That, that's certainly been one of our focuses too, is, is getting that store build out cost down, which of course this year has been even more challenging with everything going on from a construction standpoint. Yeah. Um, but yeah, lowering that cost and, and, and having them not have to be straddled with so much debt is, is hugely important. Absolutely. Um, cool. So next question is, what is the one thing in the industry or your business that's keeping you up at night? Uh, so funny, we just maybe kind of touched on this a little bit, but I think it's um, store profitability, right? So that's sort of the make or break for everything that we have going on. And, and that, of course, ties into our AUVs, which is a selling tool and everything else. So it, it sort of all starts with that. Um, so if we don't have that where it needs to be, then nothing else really matters. Uh, so I think when I boil it down to, to what keeps me up at night is really making sure you know our stores are profitable and you know our AUVs continue to be um, grow, going up. Absolutely. You know, for anybody who's looking to invest in a franchise, you know, maybe you're a manager today or whatever, you know, you, that's probably, I would suggest that if I was evaluating franchise systems, that what I'd be paying attention to was yeah, obviously AUVs and also AUVs across the entire system, not just like Northeastern AUVs, like that one, uh, the pizza chain where you make, they make the pizzas, but you take them and bake them. And they always just use their like Northeast Boston stores, AUVs as their national AUVs. And it just didn't hold true to the whole country, which is kind of scary. But yeah. the other thing is, are the incentives aligned, right? Like are you, if duck donuts wins, when the franchisees win, then that's what you really want to look for too, within your system. Right? Because then you know that duck donuts is making decisions based off of the franchisees profitability you know, versus, you know what I mean? That's another. Absolutely. Factor. Yeah. Otherwise it's not sustainable. I mean, I'm sure there's brands yeah. who can get away with that for the short term, but at some point, you know, that, that has to catch up with you. So, and you know, if we have a system where franchisees are making money, that also means that they're happy. And that also, you know, makes yeah. um, our day-to-day -day a lot easier too. When, when you're dealing with, with a group of people who are feeling good about what they're doing and, and are making money yeah. doing it. Well, and that made me really like excited for you guys because the fact that you, your number one concern was 
profitability at the franchise level tells me that you're building that culture at Duck Donuts. And that's hugely important because, because yeah, these people are trusting you guys. And also they're also your revenue generators. And, you know, it's funny because like, I, I, I kind of bag on Subway a lot, but I asked for the quiz <laughs> and, uh, and I'm very frustrated with Subway because I loved Subway. Like when I was growing up, I was like, uh-huh. like me and my buddies. And when I lived in Maryland, we were in high school and we were Bellman at this hotel golf resort. And we had the Bellman open every year. And like the winner got like a Subway sub, like that was the prize. You know? <laughs> like, That's awesome. <laughs> and like, and we, yeah, we probably all hit like 180 and like, you know, just we're being idiots out there. But, right. But you had but, fun. <laughs> yeah. But then like, you know, Subway, and I was actually impressed because they did this gigantic marketing thing right recently and they've refreshed their. Yes. But the problem with Subway is not their food because everybody who goes to Subway gets their food. The problem is their franchisees haven't made any money substantially for the last 10 years. Right. So their big problem is the same thing we had at Quiznos, which is that you go to the, like you're in this catch 22 scenario where you're trying to do marketing and you're trying to do uh, offers and you're trying to drive people into the stores, but the franchisees are so beaten down, they right. can't staff the store and they refuse to staff the store. And in a lot of cases, they don't, they don't even like, offer your they won't even honor your coupons they basically mutiny right and so you get to a point where you can't you can't get yourself out of your situation because ultimately your stores aren't going to honor what you're asking them to do to try to drive that traffic and then and they don't staff whatever and so then you just basically i call it marketing yourself off a cliff but you're basically just accelerating your own demise Uh, yes all your money marketing because people are just coming in and having bad experiences sooner than they would have had. Right. Right. Yeah. You know what? You're so right. It's such a bad cycle. And it, that actually probably is what really keeps you up at night is having like your franchisees completely revolt against uh, corporate because they're just so disgruntled. And, and I get it. I, I get why, why people are disgruntled in that situation. But man, when I'm reading some of those articles, I just, you know, have like anxiety yeah. attacks thinking like, oh my God, if this would be me, I, I don't, that would be a terrible place to be. So hopefully we can all learn lessons from that of how, how to do things a little differently. So we don't end up in that situation for sure. But so much of that is going back to your AUV statement earlier is don't let it get that bad. Right. You Absolutely. Know? Like, like if all of a sudden you start to see sales are dropping or to see profitability is dropping, you can't watch that happen for 10 years and right. just keep making money at corporate while right. everybody, these are getting beaten down and then think that you can run a couple of Tom Brady commercials for six months and, and fix it. And the reality is, is that their sales did go up because they spent a ton on marketing, but they can't sustain that. No, they yeah, it's not a sustainable there. model, right? Through hundreds of millions of dollars. I mean, and also, it's crazy to put Tom Brady in those commercials. What does Tom Brady cost? You know what I mean? Like, to have all those big stars to be in your commercials, they probably sucked up a million dollars a piece. Oh, I can't even imagine how much they paid all those celebrities. And then not to mention, Tom Brady just cracks me up because you know what? There's no way he's eating Subway. Like, there's no way he oh, lunch, no. eats lunch meat. There's no way he eats bread. Like, I mean, he's the last yeah. person to probably go eat that. That's not on his, you know, completely pure organic list for sure. So I just, the irony of that, of him endorsing something. Yeah. That he he should be your duck. Eat. He should be your duck donuts. <laughs> right. hey, I love a duck donut. In the oh, morning. I love sugar. Yeah. <laughs> I'm all, I, all I eat are sugar and carbs and chocolate, as you can right. tell. 
as you can tell. Absolutely. Shows on the football field, clearly. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I just, uh, I, yeah. And, and I feel bad for the sub, by the way, I feel bad for the subway operators. I feel horrible for the Quiznos operators and like, and I, and I, I'm, I kind of bag on those guys, but like, I'm just so frustrated with them because I'm like, come on, solve this, figure it out. But I right. do think they're in really bad sitch and I don't know that there is, there is no easy solution. Um, but I did write a whole blog and I did a couple of podcasts on how I would fix Subway. Oh, which if you're all right. Subway I'll have to check that out. You should listen to that. But yeah. And valuable. you know, the hard part about that too is, is now you have all these other newer brands who've come out and who are doing oh. the same thing. They're selling subs and they're killing it. And so yeah. you know, looking at why they're killing it and others aren't, I think is, is definitely a fascinating case study. Well, and I do think subs are very a fickle thing. Like, I think it's very interesting. Like, I don't know. It's kind of like hip hop artists. You, you can't be an angry hip hop artist forever. Like you have a four year period. And then I think people start to go, are you a millionaire now? How are you still angry? You know, right. right. Like you have He's breaking to- up with you now. <laughs> like, aren't you richer than me? Why are you so mad? But that's why you have to be angry at injustice. That's the only thing you can be angry at injustice forever, but you just can't be angry at like money because eventually you get rich. If you're good, True. you're angry. But like, I do wonder if like subs are one of those cyclical foods where, if you're a sub chain, you're, you're going to be the hot sub chain for a while. And then someone's going to come out and do something slightly different. And then everyone's going to kind of just migrate to them. Mm. I don't know. Cause that's what that's it seems to be happening. Cause Subway and Quiznos were huge in the nineties. Both of them were growing like crazy. They were the two big sub chains. And then now you got Jersey Mike's, which, which to some extent though, I feel like they're kind of floundering a little, but that's just, I see in my area. Capriati seems like they're doing great. Um, but I, that also could just be LinkedIn PR that's influencing me across all these True. things. Jersey Mike's is crushing it. They are I mean, crushing it. Yeah. Um, Firehouse. I know the guy who sold, sold them to like a thousand, over a thousand units. Like he's a guy that used to work at Quiznos and he just knows how to sell sub shops. And, uh, <laughs> but like, but they seem to, they seem to stay busy right now. Like they have a very simple concept. I don't know. But I also think like Subway should just come up with a whole new sub chain and then just flip all their units to this new sub chain or everything mm-hmm. that's like not doing high on AUVs. Right. That'd be one thing you would consider too. Like all your low oh. stores, just shut it down under new management sign, flip it over the weekend to like, you know, Barney's subs, completely different, you know, same ingredients, different stuff. And just see if you couldn't, maybe you poisoned the well with Subway, but you could get something else in there. Oh, that's interesting. Interesting concept. I like it. Mm-hmm. I just sit around and think of stuff. I like it. Hey, you can start thinking about duck donuts at any time. I'll shoot you like some random things and, you know, can send them my way. Yeah. We'll collaborate. Yeah. Um, I will tell you, there's another brand out here. I don't know if you've heard of these guys yet, but uh, have you heard of Crumble Cookie? Just as yes. Yes. They are, have exploded, certainly. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. They, I bet you their build out's pretty high, too. Their app's phenomenal. And I, I live in like a suburb of Denver, right? And uh, uh, it's a, I would say, upper middle class suburb. And let me tell you, it takes like that crumble cookie that's by my house. That thing is just, it's packed all the time. Yeah, that's awesome. They, they, that's a cookie. They packed so something. <laughs> $4 cookie, you know what I mean? Right. It's amazing what we'll pay for stuff these days. Just in I general. know. Yeah. Crazy. Um. Okay. 
what is the one thing in the industry that you thought we would be doing now that we're not? And I would just say the hospitality industry, I guess. Sure. You know, that's a good question. It's funny because especially when you think back over like the last 18 months, we've been doing things so differently as an industry from, you know, convenience standpoint and now with labor shortages and COVID and supply chain. So I I think overall, I'm impressed of how well everyone, sorry, this word's so overused, but pivoted during um, the last year and a half and just did things that nobody really planned for. But I still think the automation is a is something, especially like in my world, because on our radar is knowing that like maybe labor shortages aren't going away anytime soon, or just the cost of labor is going to obviously continue to be um, a challenge. But, you know, how do we do more from an automation standpoint that we can um, be able to justify not having <laughs> the people we need to, to run the operation? So I think that'll be, int- I think that one is probably the one I'm most surprised about that we haven't quite gotten our arms around as an industry, as a, as a whole. Of course, there's some who do it really well. Um, but it's not just like the standard practice. Yeah, no, I would agree. I think like, so our platform, so I own a software company and uh, we focus on daily checklists and repeatable process, right? Like that's kind of what we're, our whole idea is, is that we schedule out, we schedule out and get every operator on the same operational cadence and schedule out everything from them, from daily food safety to you know hey it's it's april we need to get maintenance in april and november to this pretty much every part of operating their business and kind of scheduled out and managed so that you know you can take the guesswork out of my patients as a way to simplify the the skill level of manager because you don't need you need more people it's harder to find true restaurant operators right right you really need people that can execute really well and then and then we have to over time buffer that with automating out you know, the, the repeatable tasks as best that we can that don't require a human right so some things require a human some things don't and you got to find those places where if a machine can do that human thing uh and just do it repeatedly and try to get you know, if you guys have to have six people out of that donuts out there, you're going to shift four that low, that like, uh, that just drops so much of the cost out of operating the business. Yes, there's an upfront cost for whatever the robot is or whatever you're doing, but it's the turnover cost, it's the hiring cost, it's the training cost, it's the no call, no show cost, which then slowed down sales that day. Like, just having that flexibility drive some of those like those human jobs out of the system, which I know sounds horrible, but the government's smashing us in. Right. right. Us so it's not like we're doing it, you know? Right. Um, and, and you're right. It is kind of crazy that there aren't more robots out there right now. And I wonder why that is. Have you seen that guy, Miso Robotics? No. M-I-S-O Robotics. Uh, he's okay. out of California. His, and he's got the fly, the fly, the fry flipping robot. He's got robots that can make chicken sandwiches and stuff like that, whatever. Okay. But his original robot, like five or six years ago, was like 80 Gs. And now I think it's down to like 10 Gs. Oh, wow. And so he's getting it to a position where, you know, you know, uh, you should check them out. I don't know. And, you know, I think they're, they're, they're well-funded and they can develop. So, you know, maybe you could get yeah. a thing where you have a batter gun and this giant tank of batter and it could just sit over the fryer and you just right. bring it up on the register and it just drops six donuts, you know? 
Yeah, like that would be awesome. Cool. So I'll definitely check it, that out. That would be that would be really cool. Especially if something could top the donuts, and the donuts would look consistent and perfect. Picture yeah. Instagram worthy every time. You know, if it's of course the human element makes that not always be the most consistent from um, from a delivery standpoint. But yeah, that's I'll have to definitely check that out. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. And also, too, one of the hard parts you guys have to deal with is you're you're popping hot donuts. Right. Because right. you got to get them yeah. out the door. So that's got to change a lot of what you're doing because certain things, you know, going to melt just from the residual heat from the donut, you know? Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Waiting a little bit to, for them to cool off enough that you are not, you know, melting all the icing when you put it on for sure. But yeah, that's yeah, so where sometimes we lose the consistency standpoint. Hmm. That's interesting. The robots okay. would be more consistent. I mean, just think about that. <laughs> I yeah. mean, no matter what the no matter what the food product is, a lot of times, obviously, if a human's touching it, there's going to be some inconsistencies across employees, across you know different locations or whatnot. But um, yeah, if you had a robot, it would be pretty consistent. Just have to hope it doesn't break. I guess if it acts yeah. like a computer, will be good. <laughs> well, exactly, and I mean that's probably because you know I'm selling into restaurants all the time, right? Like that's what we do primarily, food service, and like. Um, and so, you know, what things that I noticed, and, and once again, I was in ops services and ops at Quiznos when we had a lot of locations. So I've been on both sides, right? Like I've been on this side trying to, to get people to adopt technology. And I've been on that side where I was saying no to technology and or just dealing with what we were dealing with at the location level. And that I think is the big, I think that's a huge fear right now, which is, okay, so now I've got this burger flipping robot and it's been working great. But then it broke today, and now I don't have a guy that knows how to throw the burgers down. And also, like, when are you going to get out here to fix this damn thing? Right. You know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah. So, because, like, we'll get people telling us, like, you know, we just don't, like, obviously everybody wants to pilot the software. And, I mean, we're just doing checklists on a phone versus doing them on paper. Like, it's not this huge, monumental like shift in like op how you do it. You just change the medium in which you're recording information. But I could see that that's a terrifying thing. You know, does, do you have robot techs out there that know how to fix right. it? Can they overnight <laughs> you a robot? Like, and, and then can you install it yourself and have the software push right into it for that job? So those are all things I think have kept people from really going nuts on the automation side. Yeah. But I think it's coming for sure. I mean, you know, someone's going to take the plunge and go, hey, you know what? We just we can't find people because right. like in the past, like I used to manage like a P.F. Chang's in Tyson's Corner, Virginia. And yeah. like in the past, we'd have people, you know, they would people would no call, no show. And so I remember I'd be like, I got to hire some new waiters. And I would go into the back office and just grab a stack of applications, you know. And right. now the problem is there's no applications. There's no applications, right? Yeah. So there isn't even anyone to call to bring in to like backfill the job. Well, you're right. And I feel like before when you would always talk about automation, people would always be like, oh, we can't have people be out of jobs. Like people need to work and, you know, it's just not good for the economy. Well, that's clearly has has changed because now we're yeah. at the opposite where we have businesses. I mean, even our stores, we have shortened hours at a lot of locations because they just don't have the staff to stay open for, you know, yeah. till eight o'clock at night or, or whatever it is or on a Sunday. So, um, you know, that's impacting business on a lot of levels, which just has that um, effect of the other employees and the franchisee and all that. So it's just a really, really bad circle for sure. It is. And I mean, you know, and like, you also have to, you know, and if you're the franchisee, it's like, you have to give them an exception. Like, hey, 
close on Monday and Tuesday this week because no one's had off in 15 days. Right. I don't want you to lose your employees. So I'd rather Absolutely. just, and I also don't want to wreck the customer's experience. So it's better to just shut down for a day or two and then get back fresh. Everybody got a weekend, you know, right. And, and they can all come back and work another 80 hours, you know, to get us <laughs> yeah. through. Yeah, it is crazy. And then on top of that, when, you know, people end up testing positive for COVID and then they have to shut down for a few days and okay. figure out who was working. And yeah, it's just, it's a really tough spot to be an operator right now, for sure. I, I feel, I feel for all the operators. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So I'm going to add my new question in here, um, which is what do you think makes a really successful, what's making Duck Donuts so successful or what's making, what, makes a great restaurant company or hospitality company. I just, what do you, what do you think? Uh, I think there's so many, I think there's so many elements, but if I had to boil it down, I can, I can only get to two. I, I have can't to boil it down. One. Can I go, I'll just go two, then I can't get to one. But, <laughs> um, I think it really comes down to the product and the service. So I think we've all been to places where maybe the product's really great and the service is terrible or uh, very rarely, but maybe you're somewhere where the service or the experience is great, but the product is terrible. So I think the combination of having, you know, like a superior product and exceptional customer service, I mean, that's what we strive for. Um, and I think that's the hard thing that's, you know, you can have a really cute marketing campaign, but is that sustainable for driving business? I think it just comes down to that experience that people have when they're in your store or in your restaurant um, that makes it want it to be repeatable, that they want to come back again because of that experience that they had the last time they were there. So everybody, and I'm only asked this to like six or eight people so far, I think, maybe not even that many. It's all come down to the people. Everything. Okay. It's all coming yeah. into culture. I mean, yep. I, you you get lump customer service in with sure. culture because Absolutely. you have a, a truly focused thing. Someone was telling me the other day there was a study done uh, where they had, uh, and I don't remember it. I have to go listen to the podcast again because I don't think I wrote it down. But like the guy was, they did like, they they had a chef make delicious food and then they had a chef make gross food at like a at like a conference. But then they had the gross food with the great waiter that was just so personable. And, and, and then they had the great food with a surly waiter oh. and everybody complained about the, sur the food quality and taste with the surly waiter and everybody enjoyed the, uh, the, the bad food. No one complained about it because the waiter was so good. Oh, that's interesting. And it's a, it's a famous study and I have to go figure out which podcast it was on and, uh, and I'll, I'll post it somewhere, but, I thought that was so interesting and true. Oh, yeah. Know? Well, because you know, it's funny, too, because I always think about, like, Chick-fil-A. Now, don't get me wrong. I think Chick-fil-A has a yeah. decent chicken sandwich. But people, yeah. I mean, think about the lines. You can't go past a Chick-fil-A no matter what time of day it is. It could be 3 o'clock in the afternoon, 1030 in the morning, and there is a crazy drive through line. And, yeah. yeah, okay, the sandwich is it's fine. It's great. But is it better than everybody else's? I don't know. I think it's that's probably debatable. But because of their customer service and that culture and the experience of Chick-fil-A, they are absolutely killing it. Yeah. It's so true. I mean, yeah, the one by our house, because I live right by some strip centers, and the one by our house, it like it's almost like going to an In-N-Out Burger, like in LA, like right. literally destroying traffic patterns. You're getting angry because you can't get to the grocery store because there's so many cars going <laughs> to that Chick-fil-A every minute of the day. And you're right, it is. It's about service. It's just happy people in clean uniforms walking mm -hmm. up to your car, going. What can I help you with? You know what I mean? Like, right. 
it, it, it is. So, so I guess the moral of this, this new question I've been adding, question we'll call it 4B, uh, would be <laughs> that like it really is about the service, right? And, and then how do you give the good service that take care of the employees? Yes. Like it, that's what good it point. is. Because if yep. like uh, my, my only skill as a restaurant manager was saying thank you to everybody and saying, I really appreciate your hard work today. And I mean, like that's, you know, but that's all I did. But it kept my turnover lower than, you know, because they, people felt appreciated, you know? Absolutely. And it, it's funny because that even ties into the labor challenges right now. Now, granted, it's hitting everybody everywhere. But I think those sure. those who um, have a better culture within their locations or in their restaurants are having a little less of a hard time because, yeah. you know, their employees are willing to be more loyal. They're more willing to recommend it to their friends or whatever. So um, I think it does ease the, the pain that a lot of people are going through if they do have that good culture and treat their employees well within their, their restaurants or their shops. Well, I was talking to the the chief people officer of Torchies on the podcast, I don't know, a couple months ago. And, you know, like they were saying, she was talking about how they like look at the personality types in the stores and they're like going, okay, this is for hourly employees too. They're like, they're evaluating you going, okay, we need some more like analyticals working at this store, you know, because we've got too many like free spirits floating around, you know, <laughs> like, I was like that was such a foreign concept to me because I had never even been in a position at any restaurant I had ever worked at where we had any time at all to like go hey what kind of people do we need we just need alive people who can right. do the job <laughs> right like that was always our like number one thing do they have a pulse and will they show right. up will they show um, up yep but my buddy he's this the COO of a, a sub chain out here and um it's called snarfs it's out of colorado and they have a couple stores in chicago and a couple other places and they're starting to expand and they make an amazing sub and but they let everyone dress how they want and just they they're, they just got voted top sub in denver and top burger because they have a burger branch too and but his guys are making like 25 bucks an hour because it's oh my tips. gosh wow that's so, crazy so he's paying like 15 an hour and then they're getting like 10 bucks an hour in tips on these sandwiches and these aren't like cheap subs and I mean, but like they're having very little turnover. And when everyone turns over, one of their guys brings in the next employee because they are making 25 bucks an hour. So they're just like, wow, you know, that's awesome. That's really So he's good. not really struggling with the labor issues that a lot of other places are because people are, are crushing it there. So. Wow. That's great. Okay. So we have culture again, which I think is so cool that everybody, uh, Believes culture is the driving is the driving force for their success. Absolutely. Um, cool. So number five, it's war story. Um, so I want a funny or cringeworthy story. You don't have to name where you were working if you don't want to. One of those ones where you either like it's like I can't believe I got through it. It's a groaner. It's gross. It's hilarious. I don't really care. But I uh, just any kind of like ooh cool story. <laughs> Gosh, I feel so lame. This is like the hardest question. I didn't have anything like cringeworthy or funny because I, I would share it even if it was embarrassing. And I was trying to <laughs> even think back. To, <laughs> I was trying to think back to especially my Hershey days because, you know, working there, I worked a lot of concerts, met a lot of famous people, you know, did all the like five pound chocolate bar presentations, like got paid to buy sure. roller coasters. So I was trying to think through 
you know, some of that, I feel like, especially with the famous people, there's usually some good um, stories in there. And I didn't have anything good enough to share on that front. So I don't know if it, I, you say war story, I kind of think about just coming here was sort of like the beginning of a little, um, I don't want to say war, but just was very challenging coming from a really big corporate culture where, you know, there was huge teams and there was lots of resources and people and, you know, starting here was a very uh, mom and pop from a, from even a corporate standpoint. And, you know, there was only a handful of employees. I was one of the first non-family members uh, or family oh. and friends to really be hired here. So um, it was just we talk about culture, you know, it was a culture shock here, um, you know, just coming to something where there wasn't a lot of things established. And I just remember sitting in my office like the first week and there was one person on the marketing team and they weren't even in the same office as me um, and being like, oh, my gosh, like, what did I get myself into? Like, what what am I supposed to do? And, you know, there's all these things to be done. But do we have the money? Do we have the people to like actually make it happen? So, um, you know, I think back to it and it, it seemed kind of cringeworthy to me at the time just because it was so different from you know where I came from but obviously it all worked out for the for the good and, and, and luckily the management team understood the reason why I came here was to help um, you know make things more sophisticated and take them to the next level um, so that's not really like a great story I wish I had like something really like no. really funny but that's my worst but it story. is <laughs> I hear that and I go man there's a bunch of family members there like yep. are they gonna undermine me like you know right. they, I don't right. have a I'm budget. an outsider and <laughs> Like, hey, can I have a hundred grand to do this? And yep. you know, so being able to—I mean, I think it—it says a lot about you that you were able to come into that scenario, and then now you have a twenty-five person team, and you're the CEO. And so, obviously, it's a testament to your ability a, to like weather that storm and be <laughs> that political minefield, which is much right. what that really was. Yeah, you know, yeah, you know, definitely. I'll give yeah, you was- my. Oh, oh yeah, I'd love to hear yours. So here's my Hershey Park horror story. Oh no! I went to Hershey Park. Uh, so we live in Maryland. I grew up in Maryland, out like Columbia, Maryland. So nice. uh, Hershey Park's like two, three hours from you know yeah. wherever uh, um, from where I grew up. And so my mom took us. So we went to Hershey Park as a kid, and I was you used to have a ski lift thing that used to like take you across like. The oh park. yes, yep, it's still there. Yep. And, I like was sitting on it wrong and started to fall out of it. And my mom <gasps> grabbed me. This is like in the seventies and like literally like just like death gripped my arm because I was like falling out of that chairlift thingy. And, oh like, my gosh. Like, the whole ride basically. Oh, that it would be terrifying because that thing is high. Like you fall out of there. It's not going to be, it's not a good thing yeah, for anybody. Oh my gosh. That's crazy. Yeah. Luckily I didn't have any ride malfunctions. I rode a lot of roller coasters and, and it was funny because I was just telling my kids about this the other day when Storm Runner, which is a coaster from, oh gosh, probably like, I don't even know how many years ago was new. I volunteered to be in the photo shoot, you know, trying to be a team player and, and be sure. nice. And I somehow got stuck in the very first car, which, you know, this has like, it goes zero to 72 miles per hour in two seconds. It has a crazy drop. Like it's a pretty intense roller coaster. And I wrote it and then we came back in and I'm like, okay, we're going to go again. So we kept going and going. And then I was like, yeah, I'm fine. Cause we never stopped and got out. So I wrote this coaster 13 times in a row oh. and then I got out and it was not a good day. 
<laughs> Did you like throw up? No, you know what? It was even worse because my equilibrium was just so off. Like I literally went back to my office, like somebody else drove. And I remember laying on the floor at my office because I was so messed up. Like I couldn't even drive home. Like it was worse than like having too many drinks and like thinking that you can function. Like it was, it was bad. Like I literally laid on my office floor for the afternoon until later in the day till I could like be all right and be able to see it and not feel like I was going to, you know, get arrested if I got in the car and drove home. Well, first of all, that's your war story. Okay. And there's and my war story. Two, and then number two, my buddy Kevin did the same thing. He wrote every mountain he's in, lives in LA. He's a, an editor, uh, film editor or whatever, but he, went to every he rode every roller coaster at magic mountain and he said he couldn't walk straight for a week oh. like it just you know it messes which, you up uh, yeah yeah oh, there's yeah. an axe for that for here. sure yep so there's my there's my advice adult. too right and this is when i was probably like 23 24 like i mean i was young so if i would do that now i definitely wouldn't make it because the older you get the harder that becomes well, yeah, because at least when you're a kid, like you're doing somersault. Like I do a somersault in the pool sometimes and I want to die. I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> right. would I ever do that to myself? But yeah, as an adult, you like lay down, sit down or stand up. That's all you do. You do those three things. That's all you ever do. So any kind of like change to that and you're just toast. Yes. And spinning. Like, cause even once I had kids and we'd go to Hershey park and like we, my husband, and I would do rock, paper, scissors to get on the carousel. Cause I'm like, Ooh, the carousel, that's too much spinning. Like I can't, I can't do that anymore either. Oh, that's really funny. Well, Betsy, uh, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. And uh, good luck to you guys over at Duck Donut. And I will definitely put a, a link up to the Duck Donut uh, website. And then I'm sure you guys, there's a franchise button on that link. Absolutely. On the yeah. so if you're looking to bring Duck Donuts outside of the eastern seaboard and bring them out west or wherever, they're looking to sell you a franchise. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Well, you're welcome. And thanks for being on the show. Thanks. Don't go anywhere.